going to be reading Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, <clears throat> may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, so if you have your Bible... We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, looking at those um, verses that Stephen read for us. If uh, you're new this morning or you haven't been here um, this summer, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians, just big pictures, can kind of divide it in, into two halves. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, and Paul's really looking at what God has done in Christ for us in salvation and bringing us together as the church. And then the second half of the book that we'll look at starting next week, Lord willing, is what are the implications of that? What does it mean to be in Christ? And how should we live in light of what he's done? So uh, that's kind of where we are. We're, we're going to be finishing that section today. Um, and Paul finishes the, the first half of this book in a prayer. And prayer... If you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, prayer is something that you know is important. And I think there's the old saying that, that prayer is for the soul what breathing is for the body. It's, it's essential. Without prayer, our Christian life suffers and it's not vital. And yet, like breathing, sometimes prayer is something we just take for granted as Christians. Something that can just fade to the background and it's just there. And so we find ourselves praying generally because we know that, that we ought to pray, but we just end up praying things like, God help me today, or keep me safe, or just be with these people, or just help us to have a good day. Not that any of those things are inherently wrong, but the point I want us to see is sometimes our prayer lives can just become general. and um, so. But most of us understand that we need to be praying. So I don't want to convince us this morning for the importance of prayer, but rather to, to spend some time focusing on uh, Paul's prayer. And like breathing, prayer is essential for our Christian life. And uh, one of the pieces of advice that people have given us, given Joni specifically, as she prepares to have a baby, is to practice breathing. That to practice breathing now while it's, while it's easy, so that when it becomes difficult, You'll be trained in that breathing pattern, and it will help when things get hard. So again, that, that's the idea today, that we will look at Paul's prayer 
we will learn to pray like Paul. We will learn how we can pray, what we should pray for, and why we should pray. So that is the goal of this sermon, is that we would pray like Paul. But before we jump in, I do want to pray and ask for God's help. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, aware of our need. Father, we've all had things that have happened in our lives this week, uh, important things. And uh, Father, some of those things we bring here in this room. And God, I ask that you would be with us now as we open your word. Father, would you give our minds attention to your word? Father, would you give our hearts uh, a desire to hear your word, to, to be changed by it? And Lord, we pray that you would be honored today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, how do you pray? Paul picks up his prayer in verse 14 that that he started back in verse 1. He says, for this reason, beginning in verse 1, and then we looked, he got a little interrupted, and we looked at... um, the mystery of the gospel being revealed in and through the church, and now he's picking his prayer back up. Only this week, not only does he have chapters 1 and 2 in mind, but but he also has what he said last week in mind. Uh, And uh, I think it's important for us to to recognize that the truths that that Paul has been describing in great detail in chapters 1 and 2 they actually motivate Paul to pray. And that, that's a really important point for us, that, that doctrine for Paul is not a, a cold, distant reality. It's not something out here to just examine and debate, but, but rather these things move Paul to pray for the Ephesians. Theology, if it's good and if it's biblical it actually moves us to praise God. And one of the ways we do that most fundamentally is in prayer. So Paul teaches us this morning how to pray. You may have picked up as Stephen was reading the text how Paul highlights every person of the Trinity in this prayer. And we saw this back in chapter 1 when we looked at God's plan of redemption. We believe in a triune God. That is one God, in essence, eternally existent in three persons. And in chapter 1, we saw how the Father works in redemption and how the Son works in redemption and how the Spirit works in redemption. And this morning, Paul shows us how the Father works in prayer and how the Spirit works in prayer and how the, the Son works in prayer. Paul begins by bowing his knees before the Father. That was not the the traditional way of praying in Paul's day. The traditional way of praying would have been to stand. That would have been the common practice. And so the fact that, that Paul is bowing before the Father, again, it gives us insight into Paul's heart, that, that Paul is earnestly desiring these things for the Ephesians. 
And like Brad mentioned when, when he preached in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, often what we, what we value the most, what, what's important to us, are the things that, that come out in our prayer life. And again, even by Paul's posture, we see what, what's important to him. He is he's earnestly praying on behalf of the Ephesians. And he prays, bows his knees to the Father, And he says that from the Father uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul's saying that that everything within the created order that that can have a a social group, whether in heaven or on earth, is they're named by God. In naming in in the Bible was, was a way to indicate authority. It was true then and it's also true now. One of the exciting things that uh, Joni and I are experiencing as we prepare for our baby girl is tossing around, what are we going to name her? What are we going to call her? And I think we've got a couple names that we feel pretty comfortable on. Um, I'm not sure the order of that, but uh, while we, in that process, we've asked other people for their advice and for their input, ultimately that, that's a decision that, that belongs to us because that authority is ours as her parents. And this is what Paul's saying, that that God has authority over the created order, and by evidence of that, he he names them. And so Paul is is drawing our gaze up to to God's power and his, his sovereignty in prayer. This is who Paul is praying to, the God who created everything. He has complete authority. And the authority that God the Father possesses over all of creation is, is not a, a harsh authority. Sometimes in our fallen, broken world, we have experiences of a father exercising authority in an unbiblical, unloving way. And sometimes that, that can be hard to then think about what does the the love of God the Father look like. So Paul's clear, God the Father has authority over everything, but that authority is not a a harsh or domineering authority. It It is a kind, caring authority. And Paul draws us to that by by pointing to the riches of his grace. So Paul prays to bow his knees before the Father. And his request is that the Father would grant that the Ephesians would be strengthened in power, uh, strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. So once again, we we see Paul highlighting the the role of the Spirit in prayer, that it is the Spirit who will empower and who will work Paul's request from the Father in the Ephesians. This is the pattern we see throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus is going back up into heaven, he gives the disciples the, their commission. He says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But before he says that, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will empower you to be my witnesses. So the Father grants and the, the Spirit empowers 
And then notice at the very center of Paul's prayer is Christ. We'll look in just a moment at more specifically what Paul is praying, but just to see the structure, Christ is at the center of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Paul is praying that they would be like Christ, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And so this is how Paul prays. He, he prays to the Father, and he asks the Father to give spiritual growth. And he prays that, that the Father would do that by empowering them through His Spirit to make them more like Christ. And as we look at the, the structure of Paul's prayer, as we look at how he prays, we, we actually see that, that Paul is demonstrating the, the very thing he's asking from the Ephesians. He, he's, he's praying to God on behalf of the Ephesians that they would grow closer and, and deeper in their relationship with God. And, and as Paul's praying, he's actually talking to, to the different persons of the Trinity. Paul is deeply connected with who God is. Again, God is not a, a distant figure for Paul, but he is Father over all. And, and the, the Spirit who empowers and, and then the Son who makes us, uh, draws us into fellowship with God. And so this week, when you pray and you, you take your praise and petitions to the Father, ask Him to grant you those petitions that he would strengthen you by the Spirit and that he would make you like Christ. And so this is how Paul prays, and I pray that, that we would pray like this. I pray that we would pray like Paul. But what exactly does Paul pray for? And, and what do you pray for? Not only is how we pray important, but also what we pray for is important. Uh, depending on your translation and your Bible, Stephen was reading from the ESV. It's what I'm reading from. You may have noticed that Paul's prayer from uh, starting in 14 to the 19 is, is one long sentence. And this is just one of many long sentences in Ephesians. It, it's pretty famous for its long sentences. And there's a lot of debate over the, the grammar of these long sentences. What exactly is Paul saying? I think Paul's prayer is structured around three that's. You can find them in verse 16 in the second half of verse 17 and, and the second half of verse 19. So I think that helps to give us the structure of, of what Paul is praying for, but, but I think his purpose is really clear, and it comes at the end of, of 19. I think Paul is praying for the Ephesians to be filled with the fullness of God. And so by extension, I pray that, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. I pray that you would pray that for other people. Paul's prayer is it's like a snowball. It, um, except it doesn't just start out small. It kind of is like the base of a snowman that Paul takes at the top of the hill and rolls down, and it gets bigger and bigger. It grows until it hits that crescendo to be filled with the fullness of God. So the first that that structures the prayer is verse, starting in verse 16, that according to the riches of 
his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Christian life is, is hard. It's hard work. It's, Jesus said to, to take up your cross if we want to follow him. In order to do that, we need strength and we need endurance to live a faithful Christian life. And that's exactly what Paul prays for. He prays that, that God would strengthen them with power through the Spirit. Paul is praying that God would supply the strength to endure the difficult days ahead. And once again, Paul's not concerned with physical endurance. He's concerned with soul endurance. He prays that they would be strengthened in their inner being, which is not the outer being. Paul uh, says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, again, describing the difference between the outer and inner being, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see, we still suffer under sin and, and our bodies still face decay. And, but Paul says that though the outer man can waste away, our inner man can be renewed and can be strengthened. And, and that's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for their souls to be strengthened. And the result of that is that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And Paul is not suggesting that the Ephesians don't have faith. If you look back just a couple pages in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul is not talking to the Ephesians as though they're, they're unbelievers, but rather Paul is talking to them and, and praying that their relationship with Christ would, would be deepening and, and would be abiding. He wants Christ to dwell in their hearts. As I say, he doesn't want Jesus to just take up a, a temporary residence in their heart. Something that, that Jesus is just a, a nice idea that gives me some nice benefits. No, Christ, or Paul wants Christ to dwell within their hearts through faith. And so that first request there is strengthened in their inner being, having Christ dwell in your hearts by faith. That, that really is uh, two sides of the same coin. I don't think we should try to split that as if they're, they're two different things. If the Spirit strengthens you in your inner being, then Christ is dwelling in your heart through faith. And so Paul prays that God would do this so that the Ephesians and so that you might have the strength to endure the difficult days ahead. And second, uh, the second that, in the second half of verse 17... Paul prays that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. So Paul wants their souls to be fertile ground where, where Christ dwells, but he also wants their, them to be rooted and grounded in love. That they would live in light of God's love. Again, this isn't Paul's way of suggesting that, that they don't already have God's love, but rather uh, from the love which God has already given them, that they would, they would grow out of that. He says it this way in, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So that's the idea that, that Paul's communicating, that to be rooted and grounded in love is to, 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 to grow in our relationship with God. The pictures are called to worship this morning. It says that the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water. It, it yields its fruit in season and, it, and its leaves do not wither. That's the idea that Paul is giving us in, in praying for the Ephesians. And this week, I cut my grass, which is good. It helped feel normal. I haven't had to cut grass in about three years, so that's nice to do that very normal task. But after I cut the grass, I noticed that we have a flower bed that is, is overtaken by weeds. So I thought I would try to reclaim that bed. And the, the person who lived in our house before us I assume, decided to uh, put little uh, white pebbles, little small stones in that flower bed, probably to, to try to keep the weeds out. Nevertheless, there were a lot of weeds there. And so I decided to pull those weeds out. And there were some that were, were pretty tall and some that were pretty short, but all in all, they actually all came out pretty easy. The, the rocks were choking those weeds out and the roots we're pretty shallow. So that, that's the opposite image of what Paul's praying. He doesn't want us to be easily snatched up or swayed by the enemy in this world. Rather, he wants us to grow deep in our knowledge and our love for God. And the, the goal of that is as we are rooted we would then be able to, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's wisdom and God's love for you. Notice that we don't understand the, the boundless dimensions of God's love without the saints. We do not grow spiritually without our brothers and sisters. There is no just me and Jesus mentality here that, that would cheapen what Christ has done on the cross by reconciling a people. In fact, it's actually when we rub shoulders with one another that, that we begin to grow in our understanding of, of God's love for us. Because as we do that, we recognize that, hey, my brother or my sister they're like me. They're, they're still struggling with sin. And, and 
that's part of Paul's point here, that, that together as we walk, as we seek to, to live a faithful Christian life, that, that then we would know the boundless dimensions of God's love. And so together, Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ. Christianity is a, it's a religion of the mind. It involves our mind, things that we must know. Paul's praying that the Ephesians would understand their salvation, that they would know the love of Christ, that they would know the joy of their salvation. So this is why we've kind of slowed down and, and looked at some of these deeper theological sections of the book so that we would know the love of Christ. And it's exactly at this point that Christianity diverges from other world religions. Other world religions, they, they will put some sort of mental state of bliss at the center. That's the ideal. That's the goal. That's what we're pursuing. That's not what Paul's saying. And, and I love how one theologian commented, said that Christian salvation fully benefits us only if we know about it. Salvation that is not known and enjoyed is no salvation. You see, we must know something of who God is, of our sin and its consequences, and what Christ has done on the cross, and now how through faith the, the Spirit dwells in us. We must know these things, so that way we may know the love of Christ. And so yes, Christianity is a religion of the mind, but it's not just a mental religion. Paul doesn't want us to just be able to, to say the right things. That's why he says to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's not that Paul's talking about some mystical or ethereal knowledge, but rather something that goes beyond the mind and, and penetrates your heart. Again, he, he said this back in chapter 1 when he said that you'd have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That the, the knowledge of God's love would, would come to our minds and, and penetrate our heart. And, and like blood that comes to the heart, it gets pumped out to the rest of the body. Paul wants that knowledge to come from into our minds, down through our heart, and then to get pushed out to all of our body. It is a transforming knowledge. And it's the kind of knowledge that we can't manufacture in ourselves. We must ask God to give us that knowledge to connect our, our minds and our hearts. So that's why Paul's praying that, that God would give this. So as we've been looking, Paul's prayer is climactically moving to, to this final statement in the second half of 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Deep, abiding, spiritual fellowship with God is, is what Paul's praying. Paul wants you to be spiritually mature, to, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Strengthened in your inner being in such a way that you are rooted and grounded in 
Christ's love and with the saints that you're comprehending the boundless dimensions of it. In short, Paul's praying that you would be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What a staggering prayer that Paul prays. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. We looked at it very briefly last week, but in in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul, Paul talks about Because of Christ, we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. This prayer is is proof of that boldness and confidence that Paul talks about. Paul is bold enough to ask God that these Ephesians would be perfect. That they would be filled with the fullness of God. That they would be spiritually mature. This is what Paul was concerned about. He was concerned about their souls. Now, Paul knew that things in Ephesus were difficult. He knew that the Ephesian Christians faced significant challenges from their pagan neighbors. There was a riot in Ephesus when Paul was there over the disturbance that the gospel was creating in the culture. Paul knew that there was division between Jew and Gentile. Paul doesn't just pray that that they would have enough food to eat or that they would be safe. Paul, Paul prays for their soul, that they would be mature in Christ. Do you pray like Paul? What would happen if we as a church began to pray like Paul? If we were more concerned with someone's soul than the physical things. And hear me, it's not that those physical things are are wrong or that God doesn't care about those. We, We certainly can bring those to the Father. The point is, I I want us to be a church that we pray for the primary things, the most important things. And that's what Paul's doing. He's praying for their soul to be strengthened with power. Pray for your own soul to be strengthened with power and pray that for one another. Pray like Paul. But finally, why do you pray? This is the final question we need to ask. Why does Paul pray such a lofty prayer? In fact, how can he pray such a bold prayer? Doesn't Paul know that we're still sinners, that we still struggle? I mean, we won't be perfect this side of heaven. Is Paul unaware of that? Well, we're going to see in a couple weeks that Paul addresses sin head on and, and He calls us to to turn from that and and to live as children of God. So so Paul is very much aware of of our ongoing struggle with sin. So he asks the question, how then can can Paul pray those things? Because Paul knows that God is able to answer his request. 
So he says in verse 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, the reason that Paul is able to to pray with such boldness and such confidence on behalf of other Christians is because he knows that that God is able to do far more abundantly than than even Paul can can think or imagine. So hold those two things in your mind. This is one of the the loftiest prayers that we have in the Scriptures for one another. And, And Paul follows that by saying, and God's able to do even more than what I'm asking for. God is able to answer Paul's requests because God is rich in power. He is rich in glory. And if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'll explain this a little bit. We, I gave the illustration of when I was buying Joni's engagement ring. And I mentioned that what I wanted to buy was not what I could buy. You see, my riches were limited. I only had so much money. But with some kind help, Joni and I were able to go on, uh, go to an all-inclusive resort for a honeymoon. And those are a little bit deceiving because you still pay for it. It still requires money. But when you get there, you kind of feel like you, you, you haven't paid for it or that everything now is just free. That's, that's kind of the illusion and, and the draw. And so I remember being at that resort and thinking, boy, this must be like what royalty feels like. You just, you just walk up and you just ask for something and they give it to you and you don't have to pay, pay the money. It felt great. Now again, it was an illusion because you already paid the money on the front end, but nevertheless, that, that feeling of being able to, to just get whatever I want and not have to worry about, could I afford it? In a, in a much more serious and, and spiritual way, God's riches are unlimited. He is infinitely rich. He has never had to wonder, can I do this? There is nothing that is limiting God. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Paul's prayer is lofty, But God is able to do even greater things than what Paul prays for. I hope you see how having a big view of God only makes our prayer lives more vibrant. You see, we can pray big things to God because our God is big. If our God is small, then we must pray for small things. But our God is the Father of of all things, and so we can bring even the boldest prayer requests to Him. Like that member of your family that you just think will never believe the Gospel. They are just too far gone. Even those requests we can bring before the Father because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so pray with confidence. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. But let him ask in faith, not without, or without, 
with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When we pray, pray trusting that God is able to answer our requests. Pray with confidence because God is able and He's already working within you. Because Christ dwells in your heart through faith, God will continue working in you and will continue making you more like Christ. Finally, Paul's able to pray such a bold prayer because Paul knows that that God is glorified in the church and in Christ. And so as dead sinners are, are brought to life and then brought together and then walk in the good works that God has planned for them, God is glorified in that. God's manifold wisdom is displayed. So Paul can pray with confidence because he knows that what he's praying for is is ultimately for, for God to be glorified through the church and in Christ. In Christ, God is both the, the just and the justifier. He is the just in that He punishes Christ for our sin. He is the justifier in that Christ atones for our sin. And so you see, both in the church and in Christ, God is glorified. And Paul says that this is throughout all generations, forever and ever. And so... This is true when Paul was praying, and and it's true even today. The Olympics are getting ready to begin, and one of my favorite events to watch are the the track relay races. Uh, My favorite is the the 4 by 100 meter relay. I love watching them take off out of their blocks, and uh, I I love watching the exchange between uh, the, the runners as one person reaches to hand off the baton and and the other person reaches back to grab it and then to continue the race and and to carry their team until the next leg of the journey. Again, that's the image of generation after generation after generation after generation through the church and in Christ. God is glorified forever and ever. And so this is why Paul can pray so confidently, so boldly. And so, why do you pray? Pray for for God to be glorified. We pray confidently because we know that our God is able. And so I pray that we would pray like Paul. I pray that we would follow Paul as our model here in prayer that how we pray, what we pray, and and why we pray would be shaped by God's Word. So let us as a people grow in in spiritual health by praying intimately with our triune God. May we approach the Father with, with a humble boldness, asking Him to grant our requests, trusting that the Holy Spirit is already at work within us and will continue to strengthen our faith. And we pray to be made more like Christ. And may we pray for one another's souls.
You may not know or be very close with the other people in this church. I'm still learning to, to, to know your names and to know your faces. And, and, and there's some of you that I, I haven't really met yet. But, but I'm praying this prayer for you. Because you see, we don't, we don't have to be best friends to be able to pray this prayer for one another. Paul had been out of Ephesus for seven years. No doubt that the church had grown. There were believers in the church that, that Paul hadn't met personally. And yet he's praying for their souls. And so pray for one another this week. And if you prayed for someone that could only just remember their face, God, God knows their name, but then next week, go up to that person and say, hey, I just want you to know I've been praying for you this week. Introduce yourself and then have a conversation. And finally, pray with confidence. Pray expecting God to answer our prayers as we pray for our own souls and, and for the souls of our brothers and sisters and, and for our neighbors. Because God is able to do far more than we ask or think. And yeah, so now we will transition to communion, and this is something that we do every week. And again, I love that we do it every week because every week we're reminded that God is able to do far more than we ask or think. On the cross, as Jesus' body was broken and, and His blood was shed, He made full atonement for sins. Is this not far more than all that we could ask or think? That God would do that for us. And so as you take the elements today, remember Christ's sacrifice but also remember that, that Christ has promised to return, to wipe away every tear. And on that day, we will say here with Paul, truly, that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, then again, I ask you just to participate in a different way in this time. Just remain seated and Consider the things that we have talked about. If you would like to, to know more of what it would look like to, to have Christ dwell in your heart through faith, then, then come find me afterwards or, or come find or talk to the person that you came with. But let me pray for us and then be free to go take the elements. Oh, Father, we thank you that. Father, we can come before You in prayer, Lord, that You hear our requests because of Christ. And Father, I pray that You would give us as a church strength in our inner being, Lord. God, that by Your Spirit, You would allow Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. That You would help us to be rooted and grounded able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Father, would you help us to know the love of Christ alongside our brothers and our sisters? And Father, would you help us when we're tempted to doubt? Father, would you remind us that truly, Lord, you are able to do 
far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.